Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. It's June 3rd, 2018. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight, we're joined by co-host Jeff Brown. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight, and we have candidates. Sharon Bell, vice presidential candidate for the International Executive Board of the UAW. Dennis Voitko, candidate for secretary-treasurer of the International Executive Board, UAW. And Adrian Slaughter, candidate for trustee, International Executive Board, UAW, with us this evening. Please remember, good leadership is never about power and control, ever, but rather for the honor and the privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. We hope everyone had a safe and happy Memorial Day weekend and this past week. We have our announcements. Announcement number one, Team Working for a Living continues to support, support Medicare for everyone in the United States. Team Working for a Living continues to support amending the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1937 to include all over all overtime for hours over 40 at any job. The addition would be at any job. Announcement number three, a team of Boeing flight line readiness technicians and inspectors have voted to unionize at Boeing's North Charleston campus. The vote was 104 to 65, well beyond a 50% plus one required, and that was to join the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. Congratulations to our new sisters and brothers. Good work there. And that's a southern plant, by the way, so it's nice to see a little crack in the, in the uh, wall there. Uh, announcement number four, a proposal to repeal Michigan, Michigan's prevailing wage law could be taken up by lawmakers as early as next week after a state board approved Friday the signatures, the certification of signatures for that matter. As you know, we opposed that here on Team Working for a Living and asked everybody not to sign it. Evidently, they did get enough signatures, and it was very close. Uh, it was a two-to-two tie, and this uh, certification now has been broken with a tiebreaker. So we have that to look forward to uh, in the legislature. Of course, the, the uh, corporate-leaning uh Elected officials are supporting doing away with it, and the working labor uh, people, elected officials, the uh, labor-leaning elected officials, are trying to stop it from being repealed. Okay, thank you, everybody, for that on our side. Uh, announcement number five, Team Working for Eleven supports the UAW Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, that mandates 
to improve working conditions, create a uniform system of shorter hours, higher wages, health care, and pensions to maintain and protect the interests of the workers. As we know, as we know, higher wages have not been done. We've seen concessions, including recent concessions under the competitive operating agreement provided for by MOU at Lordstown and Lake Orion. And this is concession in the in the in the campaign time to get reelected by the incumbent caucus. The thumbender knows at you, saying we're not even gonna abide by the Constitution even when it's campaign time. Constitution said higher wages, not lower, and this is a very crafty way of cutting wages by nearly half or more. To improve working conditions. The working conditions are deplorable. The jobs are timed so tightly that there's barely time to wipe your brow from the sweat. This needs to stop. We're going to improve working conditions. This needs to stop. Announcement number six. Team Working for a Living supports the UAW Constitution, Article 13, Section 22, that limits work permits for temporary workers to three consecutive months, effectively requiring full UAW membership the first day of the fourth month in which a temporary works. Temporaries beyond the the end of the third consecutive month are prohibited by Constitution. Yet and still, there are Detroit Three Agreements, all three Detroit, Detroit Three Agreements that have temporaries for years, provisions for temporaries for years, not just effectively 90 days. It could be up as high as 92 days, depending on how the months fall together. Okay, so let's just keep that in mind when you're considering what's going on there next uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at convention. Email and messages. Uh, first one, thank you for last week's abbreviated show. That came in from a lot of people. Everybody seemed to like it. It was you know, high listener base. We had a lot of listeners. Uh, not our highest listener, but a lot, uh, a lot. So thank you for listening. Uh, number two, thank you for last week's show and tribute to Walter Ruther. You did not report that he was a skilled trade supervisor for six years before quitting and visiting Russia and Europe to later return to work at Ford. That's from Indiana. Um, we didn't report that. We were paying a tribute to our great leader, but indeed he did uh, serve as a uh, Ford skilled trade supervisor for six years before he reinvented himself, realized that what he was doing was wrong, came back and was arguably our best leader, elected president for the UAW. Uh, some would say others, but we kind of lean toward Walter Ruther being our best leader. He was there the longest, and as we reported last week, seemed to accomplish the most. Um, and now, uh, email number three, uh, we know you are running, uh, but what about your age 
and retiree status. And that came in from a few people around the nation. Um, uh, the UAW Constitution has no limit on age. In fact, it is discriminatory by Constitution to discriminate about age. And in retiree status is that I'm a full member, as well as any other retiree, full member, enjoying retiree membership status. That's full membership status. And that limits us to full status with few exceptions. We may not vote to ratify a contract. There is a resolution to allow retirees to ratify items exclusive to them. So it stops this constant taking away from retirees, the leakiest wink, link without any uh, voice of their own in the, re, the uh, ratification process. Uh, so we're limited by that. We're limited. We may not vote to start or stop a strike. We may not vote for anyone that handles grievances at the local union level. We may not hold office of any, any office that handles grievances at the local union level. Everything else we can do. So we may not run for the bargaining committee, the bargaining chair, okay? Everything else we're allowed to run for, including every position at the International Executive Board. I hope that clears that up for everybody. The age limitation that's been imposed is by the caucus that's currently in administration, the incumbent caucus. That's their internal rule. And that was set by Walter Ruther in the 1940s when 65 was an age that you were decrepit. Today, 65 is just starting to get going in a lot of cases. 65 in 1940, in the 1940s, was old. And that's why they had that stipulation in there. Today, 65 is nowhere near what it was some almost 70 years ago, okay? So things have changed. They still have the rule. Our caucus, working for a living, has no such rule, okay? So that should sufficiently cover that. As you look around, I mean, there's, there's some limitations on judges in the state of Michigan, 70 years old, to being elected, and some of these judges are being forced out and they appear to be in the prime of their judicial career. And there was a big move the last two that just hit that age limiter about trying to change the law, and I believe they're going to do that here before long. Uh, because, the, you know, we're living older. And quite frankly, five years from now, by in, within five years from now, they're going to roll out full stem cell um, medical uh, uh, methods, the stem cells are going to add be, arguably between 40 and 60 years to our life, quality life, because it will rebuild if you have a bad kidney and you haven't lost it for whatever reason to go in there and put stem cells into it, and it will rebuild your kidney 
Cancer will be a thing of the past once this is done. Stem cells, not embryonic or brain stem cells. Stem cells are in every part of your body. Okay, so everybody should understand that as well. The age of, you know, 75 to 80 is going to creep into the 120s and 130s in our lifetime. People that are 65, 70, 75, 80 are going to, if they get through the next five years, will likely live on into their 120s and 130s without any uh, poor health. It will be good health for them because they, these things are amazing, and they can reverse the aging aspect as well. This is really, really interesting stuff. And they just, you know, this whole notion that they, you see on Star Trek and Star Wars that whatever the uh, uh, wand that they just wave over your body, we're real close to that, folks. There are some amazing things going on. So, and I have confirmed that not just by articles on the news, or, you know, on the internet and the newspapers, but with a PhD in that field. As you know, I have a lot of interaction with them, uh, and. He confirmed that as a gentleman, young young man. This is likely five years away. So just know that when you start considering age to be a problem. And that's going to uh, affect a lot of things, you know, uh, pensions and health care and other things as well. So uh, we it's going to take a little money to do all that. So, all right. Uh, I want to thank all those email writers. Much appreciated. Uh, and I uh, hope that answered your questions. Uh, this week's definition, IAM, uh, that's the International Association of Machinists. Okay. Um, up next week is this week's quote, and it's sort of apropos with what we're going to be talking about tonight. With the, uh, We have most of the candidates on the show this evening, and this is from Aristotle, and his quote is, A problem defined is a problem half solved. All right. So now, with that said, let's bring on uh, Jeff Brown. Hi, Leroy. Hi, hi Jeff. How, how are you? How are you doing? I'm good. How are you today? I'm great. I'm, I'm just fantastic. Uh, let's bring on Dennis. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Good, Leroy. How are you? We're good. We're good. Let me bring on, uh, this is, I believe, Sharon. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Hi, Leroy. How are you doing today and everybody else? We're good. Okay. And this is, I believe, get this one on. Adrian, is, is this you? Hello. Adrian? Maybe not. So we'll put that one back in listen mode for now. Uh, just we'll see if Adrian comes on later. I, there's a number of other numbers in the switchboard. We thank everybody for being here. Uh, and uh, we'll start off by uh, uh, just chatting with Jeff. Jeff, how'd your week go? Pretty good, Leroy. Not bad. Okay, good. Uh, got a little warm we, at times, but yeah. 
weekend was pretty hot around here last holiday weekend. So yep. uh, we're going to abate your uh, uh, series, the Constitution series, this week and likely next week, so everybody understands we're going to be talking about the issues paramount to our UAW union right now. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to uh, let everybody know that, and uh, we'll uh, uh, just uh, have Jeff in the background as he listens in. So we're um, uh, real, real happy that Jeff's doing such a great job for us on that constitutional series. He's actually brought up some issues that are uh, found that the uh, uh, international has been violating for over a decade in some instances. Um, it's uh, something to consider. I mean, if you want somebody that just does whatever to us, with you know, without regard to the delegates, the 37 of them that have preceded the ones that are going to be coming to this convention, 36 that preceded to this 37th convention, these delegates voted in good faith for these rules by the Constitution, and there are parties that have thumbed their nose at the highest authority in our union, the Constitutional Convention, and the rules that they've set out and just went ahead and negotiated agreements in violation of it. And everybody needs to start considering that and what it means to our union. So uh, having said that, uh, let's uh, think. Dennis, are you prepared to uh, talk about your, your issue today about outsourcing? Sure, Leroy. Uh, outsourcing, you know, and, and subcontracting, you know, both of those things are two of the uh, major tactics, at least being used by the, uh, the Detroit Big Three automakers to uh, continue, you know, downward pressure on wages and, and promote uh, chaos and, and divisiveness in our in our workplace and dilute our membership and our dues. Um, lower paid uh, subcontractors are increasingly doing um, jobs in our workplace that was supposed to, it's supposed to be a closed union shop that were previously done by uh, traditionally traditional higher paid UAW represented workers now some of those subcontractors uh, the jobs have been outsourced to have become UAW members but at a, at a much lower rate of pay. Um, most of the facilities work, you know, just in Lordstown in particular. Uh, the heat and vent stuff has been outsourced. Those people uh, <clears throat> are making 13 to $14, 15 an hour less than the traditional workers that were doing those jobs in the past, the trade, the trade workers. And they, they're able, this company is able to keep their wages low because they they just reorganized. They've uh, done that four times in ten years. They've gone through four different uh, name changes. This is just you know one of the examples. Um, so every time that a contract comes up where the, uh, they might be asking for a raise, they just reorganize, and if they need to, they'll hire new people. Um, <clears throat> General Motors, you know, we're going through at Lordstown a shift change or a shift de decrease. Um, where we're losing a whole shift 
1,500 people, and there was just an ad in the paper. Uh, one of the tactics they're using, they, they created a sub. It's called General Motors Subsystems LLC, and they actually uh, put an ad in the paper to hire people, even our people, back to work at $15 an hour to come in there and do the work that was traditionally done by our higher-paid UAW-represented employees. It's, it's really disgusting. Um, under the, CO, the COA, you know, this competitive operating agreement, I'm not even sure what triggers that, what numbers trigger that. But, you know, it's going to be coming down the road. Uh, if they get away with what they're getting away with at Orion and Lordstown and other facilities, it's going to be coming to a plant near everyone else, too, because um, General Motors' goal is, is that anything that's not directly related to production on the vehicle, they want to outsource. And that includes material handling, any site maintenance. There's some projections that uh, on one shift at Lordstown, uh, we have 1,500 workers now, but once they fully implement this competitive operating agreement, we're going to have people in there uh, working side by working right next to UA, uh, UAW members, and we might be down to 900 UAW members in our facility from 1,500 per shift. Per shift, um, they want to uh, <clears throat> outsource anything that's not directly related to production. Contractors are going to have a regular presence in our plants. Uh, there's major safety issues. Most, you know, I'm a team leader at Lordstown. Most of the stuff that I have to take around my team to sign are, are incident reports that directly involve contractors with presence in our buildings doing jobs that were used to be ours. And they could do it cheaper. You know, that's why they, they, they you know, this competitive operating agreement, like you mentioned in the past, it's, it's, it's not for our members' competitiveness. We can't compete because we are held to a higher standard, higher quality standard higher safety standard than all these contractors are. So, um, you know, we have to put an end to outsourcing and subcontracting. Um, our members are, are being asked to train people come, they're coming in there and doing their jobs that were traditionally theirs, ours, our UAW-represented jobs. It's a major issue, uh, not only at Lordstown um, and not only with the skilled trades, um, but it's increasingly... Uh, General Motors and the big three, like I said, want to, want to uh, keep this downward pressure on wages and outsource everything they can. Eventually, I think they just want to, in the case of General Motors, just have, you know, put the bow tie on the car. If they could outsource labor and everything else, they would do it, I think. That's uh, that's pretty much my uh, report on subcontracting and outsourcing. Anyway, unless you have uh, anything to add or uh, questions, comments. Okay, let's go around the room. And Jeff, do you have any questions for Dennis? Jeff. Yeah, they're right. I have my phone yeah, I, on mute, and I was away from it. Yeah, right. Um, do you have any questions for Dennis? Um, no, I don't have any questions. I just have seen this coming for probably 18, 20 years. And Ford has a plant in Brazil that um, 
has mostly contract workers working inside the plant. Um, Johnson Controls will come in and install the seats. It's, they claim it's the most efficient plant in the world. I think I posted that video uh, a couple of years back on our page. I, uh, I see it coming. They want to be like the grocery store chains. They lost a lot of workers. They'll have Pepsi come in and stock the shelves. They'll have uh, Fruit Away come in and stock the shelves. So I've seen that come, this coming years ago. So that's my comment, really. Okay. Um, let me ask uh, Sharon, do you have any comment or question for Dennis on his report? Dennis, thank you for that report. I just want to say that I'm a material driver. So you mentioned the material drivers and then what's happening in Lake Orion. And also I work with the trades and I know what they're going through in my um, facility. Um, I'm just ready. We just need to do what we need to do to get our reunion straightened out. So I'm just kind of listening. I'll jump in where I need to, okay? Okay, sure. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, the whole notion of uh, this GM Subsystems LLC, um, I just want to read the front of the most current agreement the November 23, 2015, and this is the General Motors Agreement, uh, but it is essentially the same for Ford and Chrysler on the front cover. It says agreement. We're going to read just like one word at a time. The first word is a line, agreement. The next line is between, and the next line is the. Next, UAW. Next, and. Next. General Motors, LLC. And two logos. And October 25, 2015, effective, and the next line is effective November 23, 2015. This agreement is between the UAW and General Motors, LLC. That means General Motors LLC, it has currently the divisions of Chevrolet, Buick, Cadillac, uh, the truck and bot or truck assembly. One more. Uh, We've lost Oldsmobile, and we've lost Pontiac. So those divisions are part and parcel. Okay? Those divisions are part and parcel of General Motors LLC. The other... I guess Canada was in there. I guess we don't have Canada anymore either because they've split off. So I was just going over in my head. The uh, other thing is that this is an agreement with 
not just those divisions, but at everything and anything that General Motors LLC owns. And it's our opinion that GM Subsystems LLC is a wholly owned subsidiary of General Motors. And they're just using this as a way to reduce wages. And, of course, the current administration is allowing this to occur. administrations allowing this to occur and not holding them to account that they own this and they still should have all of the wages being the same under the umbrella agreement. Now, a few weeks ago we talked about the umbrella agreement, how important it is to maintain that because the law has changed that you really can't get umbrella agreements. They're very difficult, very, very difficult from the National Labor Relations Board who uh, certifies such elections, the, the law has changed. So it's now unit by unit. Days gone by when you organized a whole company one time are no longer. We'd like to see that, but it's, uh, it doesn't seem to be the case anymore. So this is wrong as rain that it's going on. And part of what has occurred by this other uh, thing, uh, the MOU and the Competitive Operating Agreement at Lake Orion and at Lordstown, has been done through the GMS program, whereby the international parties or the national parties meet, and it's in all three Detroit 3, Ford and Chrysler have it as well. There's a Me Too clause in it, if you will. And we just use the General Motors language for the ease of uh, just one comparison. And they meet, and then there's supposed to be a party that approves what they uh, concoct, and then they have it put to the local union, supposedly by MOU. And that MOU has to be approved at the local union. Okay? So there's federal law, not just UAW Constitution, Article 19, Section 3. There's actually federal law that prohibits anybody but the local union bargaining for the members. They may, upon request from the local union, give, give counsel and advice, okay? And the local unions, in concert, through the sub-councils, will forward, and, of course, the local unions forward resolutions for what they'd like to see in the agreements. And that... Uh, sub-councils talk about all the time. And then there's a national bargaining committee made up of local union officials that then meet and negotiate the agreements with counsel from the international. It is against the law for the international to meet with the company and impose work rules on the local unions. 
It's a violation of federal law. And it needs to stop. We maintain that the language of the GMS and the Ford, similar Ford and Chrysler language, FCA, if you will, language is in violation of federal law. And we will work to impo enforce the federal law in, in abidance of UAW Constitution's Article 2, Section 4. So we're going to be hot on them to make sure that everybody abides by the law. And that language really doesn't have any place in our agreements. And we'll see that the uh, authorities, especially under these contracts that seem to be approved under duress, will take a look at reversing some of this language once we ascend to leadership. Okay? So having said that, that's an important uh, issue uh, that seems to be allowing lower wages, and that's going to end because we're going to abide by the Constitution. Everybody needs to understand it. That's my comments on that. So um, having said that, uh, Adrian uh, must have uh, had an uh, important emergency, so she's not going to talk about retirees tonight, but I can take her place on the retirees. Uh, as you know, we've posted all over social media that, at least in General Motors' case, uh, the corporation has been relieved of any future liability to, for the pension plan. It's not in the Ford and FCA agreements, as far as we know. In all three agreements, federal law has been essentially copied and pasted into the pension plan, and that indicates that the uh, funding levels, should they fall below 80%, would cut the pensions by 50% until such time as the funding came back up above 80%. We know that the pensions did not move up commensurate to the overall markets that went up 300%. Pension plans essentially stayed the same. So that's a big question. Why didn't they, at least in some measure, move up? So those are questions about the pensions, and the answer from us is that we will work hard to remove federal law from our contract. It does not need to be in our agreement, locked in, because the difference of it being just federal law or being in our contract is as follows. If it's federal law, we can move to, to talk to the Treasury Department and Labor Department to get some mitigation, like the Teamsters did. You all watched the Teamsters, and now they're working to fix the issue at the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation of the Teamsters and all of the multi-employers. We're a single employer. Our pension funds in total between the Detroit three are real close to $100 billion. The funding levels for the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation for the entire country 
is $106 billion. I cannot believe that we are approximately, what, 90-some percent of the whole country because there's a lot of other corporations, single corporations, that are in there. GE, all of these big names, you know who they are. Ours are in the, not in, I don't believe we're in there. Okay, and the liabilities for that uh, single payer are around 112, so they're only about $6 billion different. So they get a little bit of a market increase and they'll be fine. And it won't take, it'll be a long time before they run out of money. But my, my supposition and our supposition is that we're not in the pension benefit guarantee corporation's assets or liability because of the Pension Protection Act of 2006, signed in 2006 by a corporate-leaning group of people, the legislator and the executive branch, not by worker-leaning. So we're going to work on uh, those that are corporate-leaning and bring them over to the worker-leaning aspect. But we would at least have the opportunity, if it wasn't in our agreement, to appeal to the federal government. Should we not get it removed from our agreement and the funding levels fall below 80%, there is no appeal because it would be absolutely automatic by contract that the pension would be cut in half. No appeal such as the Teamsters did. Okay, so that's our situation with the pension, and our answer is remove federal law from the pension, and this is only if we get elected. Remove federal law from the pension plan in the agreement, and then work to reverse that law. You see, the law says that you get the lesser of pension benefit guarantee corporation amount or 50% of your pension, the lesser of. And the lesser of is going to be 50% of our pension because in large measure for the single payers, it's around $1,200 a month of the pension benefit guarantee corporation. Half of our vested pension, depending on your circumstance and how long you worked, et cetera, is between 700 and probably 850 So it's less than the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. So it essentially eliminates us out of their asset and liability column. All right, I hope everybody understands that. Now, we have another issue with retirees, and that's health care. As most of you know, in 2005, yours truly, Leroy McKnight, filed a lawsuit to try and end or mitigate, make it better, the VIVA. We didn't want it. And we worked hard for a couple of years. I legal clerked for the attorney to do that because I had that background. And he found out and had me do a lot of the work. And we got some things mitigated, all under his signature and chemicals attorney firm. Mark Bombkell was our attorney, lead attorney. And so we tried to oppose it, 
to put it into a trust. Recently, in the case of Honeywell versus RUAW, members in Local 9 and Local 1508, had a case in the eastern, southeastern district of Michigan, and a, a lady judge, her name escapes me at the moment, ruled that the pension health care benefits, I'm sorry, the health care benefits in retirement are not lifetime vested for the workers. That means you don't get them for your lifetime, according to her. And they're only good until the most recent contract. If they're written out of the most recent contract, they're no longer going to be paid if they're under the corporation aspect. Ours are under the trust, the VIBA trust. And, of course, because of the recent decision, I and others like me who opposed it originally have now said it does not belong under the auspices of the corporation, but rather safely in the trust. Although there's lots of issues with the trust itself, uh, it is safer there because it can't be written out of the agreement and lost. Our position as a team, as a caucus, is that we maintain it at the trust and not back in the corporation. There are other candidates running, one in particular, who has stated on his flyer that he wants to put it back under the corporation. This would be devastating to retirees should it be written out in some future contract. Those are our two positions, removing the Pension Protection Act language from our agreement and to leave the Detroit 3 health care in the VEBA and also uh, work for any and all other entities that we represent, other corporations and and companies or government agencies, to, to work to put those in a trust fund so that it's safe and not subject to the last agreement. Okay? Uh, regarding the VEBA itself or any and all other trust funds, there is a waiver that yours truly, Leroy McKnight, opposed at ERISA that said that they could get a waiver of the Enron rule and put stock into the VEBA. We need to divest that so that we don't have a conflict of interest in that matter. And So it doesn't happen overnight, but it needs to happen over time. We have a plan, should we not, should we become elected, we have a plan to ask, there's, there's, there's 11 members, UAW has five. Hopefully we'd stick together. And there's six appointed by the judge. If we couldn't pull six votes in order to start to divest it, we would then ask ERISA to reverse their waiver and rescind the waiver for the Enron rule. And that would set an automatic schedule to slowly divest General Motors stock 
or any other stock, corporation stock, that we're associated with Ford and Chrysler out of that VEBA. Okay, so we'd have to take a look and see what stock's in there, and we try and get that slowly divested out of there. And then never allow the Enron rule to be violated again because it puts us in a very conflicted position when we negotiate for the members on the floor. They're working. We need to protect you, and that's limiting our ability to protect you, and that's curd by the current caucus. You see, there's plans to, to stop a lot of this. So those are the retiree issues regarding uh, uh, pension, health care, and how health care is funded. Okay? So with that said, I'll take questions. I will start with Jeff. I have no questions. You're right. Okay. Dennis? Uh, no, Leroy, my only comment would be that, you know, uh, I think it is very important to divest that uh, any uh, corporate stock that we hold that uh, we represent the members in because uh, it, it really does handcuff us as to uh, our uh, the tools we could use to negotiate. Correct. And, uh, you know, I want to go on record saying that Dennis is not just talking about our uh, health care for the Detroit Three, uh, the VEBA that we're all familiar with, but any and all other entities, and he has that written in a fashion that covers everybody, and he's done a nice job of that. So thank you for that, Dennis. Um, Sharon, do you have any comments on, on the issue of retirees that I covered here? Not at this time. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, so that, that moves us into uh, the notion of working conditions for the workers. And there's a number of ways the corporations have been tightening the uh, workloads. They will sometimes have a D-rate and remove people from the teams in order to say, oh, we're going to make your jobs a little easier for a second. They'll have a D-rate. They'll say we're going to only run 60 cars instead of 64 cars an hour, for example. But then they slowly creep up back to 64, getting everybody accustomed to running 64 with fewer people. And there is no speed up written on that because of and it's K in case of General Motors, J in, in the uh, case of uh, Ford, and you know, it escapes me what uh, FCA is but right now, but it has the same language, where the chairperson, president, are responsible to help increase efficiency with the, D, the key four uh, officers, uh, the, the 
plant manager and the personnel director, so the top four officers on each side, two from each side. And they're supposed to work to make the facilities more efficient. And because of that, it's actually against the contract to write speed up. And in our way of thinking, we'd like to see that language removed so that it gets back to the company responsible to running their company. Paragraph 8 in the General Motors Agreement, the management is responsible for any and all activities, scheduling, staffing, running the business. And it's not ours to run. It's actually a property right in Old English common law. And it is it remains in every uh, labor agreement called the Management's Rights Clause. Every labor agreement has it. Management will not give that up. It's theirs to run, and we should let them run it. Okay. So those issues about rate and tightening these jobs down will be addressed, especially in light of the last agreements that may have had a cloud over them due to some improprieties that seem to have been reported. So uh, let me start with Sharon this time. Do you have any questions on on the uh, matter of working conditions with regard to how tight the jobs are? Sharon, you're, you're still in the workforce. Well... It's a problem, and it needs to be fixed because it deals with safety when jobs are too tight. So, you know, the only thing I can think at this point, until people, the right people are in office to address it, it remains the same, and it's un, it's been a major issue when you're working. And yes, I've I've been affected by it myself. That's all I have to say right now. You'd like to see that corrected? I believe that's you know I'm hearing that from most of the members, and you agree with that, right, Sharon? Yeah, I need it. We need that. Right. Yeah, because people are going home hurt, and it's just bad. I'm just listening because you're hitting right at home on that. So I don't have a lot to say except for I agree. Okay. That's fine. Thank yeah. You. Uh you know, I mean uh you know, I mean you're you're kinda new to the radio show yourself, so it's fine. Uh Sharon's uh, high highly educated and, and very very effective leader, so uh but she's seeing that I'm just covering it and I'm a little more savvy on the radio here a little bit, so they're sort of letting me handle this a little so it's fine but you have thoughts and I want you know I mean those opinions need to be brought forward so uh, Dennis you got uh, comments on that I know that that's mostly uh, the non-skilled area but I'm sure that affects the skilled area too but you got comments because you're a pipe, pipe fitter at Lordstown so comments well Louie, um, 
you know, we, we uh, work with production workers all the time because uh, we're down on the floor as production support employees also. And uh, we see those people humping that line. Um, you know, I work over in the fab plant where it's, uh, there's, there's not a whole lot of chain chasing, so to speak. You know, it's mostly station to station. But if you go over to uh, the assembly plant where uh, you have the uh, trim shop and, and stuff like that, those people are going nonstop. And, and a lot of these jobs are ergonomically, a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the stuff that we used to have uh, a lot, uh, much more representation in safety, ergonomics, uh, industrial hygienists, they, they're doing away with a lot of that stuff. They're consolidating it, um, and so we don't have the support structure that we used to have. And those people, uh, you know, a lot of people on the outside that are not an auto worker think that they're overpaid. Let me tell you, those people work hard every day and go home from that job dragging. So, yes, the working condition, that's a very big issue. We intend to address that should we send the leadership. Okay, thank you, Dennis. Uh, Jeff, you're a you're, uh, uh, high-low driver in the plant. Uh, you want to give us your thoughts on this matter? Yeah, it's... Uh definitely needs to be changed. Uh, I challenge anybody to go through their safety rep and ask them how many safety grievances he has written. Um, you'd be amazed that they don't have the right safety grievances. Um, safety is paramount beyond anything. So, yes, we do need to change it. These people, these young people work now, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, they're going to be hurting when they get my age. So, yeah, we definitely need to be changing the attitude on the shop floor. So I got Larry. Right. Okay. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Um, let's see, I believe that. Let's see if uh, we have any new people here. No, we're good. Uh, having said that, uh, let's uh, move on to the matter of temporaries. And temporaries have been written into the agreement in uh, contrast to the old paragraph that limited uh, temporaries in 90 days whereupon you have to have uh, send a seniority status. This has been changed in the Detroit 3 agreements, and that now allows for temporaries indefinite. Uh, only to be moved into seniority status at the agreement of the parties. And this actually seems to be the national parties. So that, uh, as you heard in our announcements under Article 13, Section 22, uh, temporaries are limited to three consecutive months. That means at the beginning of the fourth consecutive month, and that's upwards of 92 days at the most. That's why they wrote it 90 days in the, ma in the master portion of the agreement. The appendix has this at uh, you know, indefinite now. So the Constitution says three consecutive months for work permits. 
Anybody that's not a seniority person, can they get a work permit up to three consecutive months? After that, by Constitution, you're supposed to be a seniority member. Okay? So we would enforce the Constitution as leaders should we ascend to leadership. Tell the corporations, we're bound by our canons of our Constitution to 90 days, 92 at the most. And we are obligated to enforce that. And we're going to do that in the next agreement, maybe sooner. That is, should we ascend to leadership? Temporaries have been getting hurt on the job because they're asked to work like slaves and do things that a seniority member isn't being asked to do at risk of losing their job should they not do that work. And then that's imposed on a seniority employee and member. Okay, So that's wrong. And sometimes when they get injured, they get discharged. And we talked about that last week a little bit. And that's wrong. If you get injured at work, you should not be discharged, whether you're a temporary or a part-time temporary. Okay? So we'll address that. The issue of dues, we have not seen for the part-time temporaries, we have not seen anything from, in the in way of an administrative letter from the president's office to address this in a proper way. The language is very clear in the uh, Constitution on how that this is supposed to be collected. Everybody that's a seniority member has full-time or or even a, te- a temporary that's full-time, pays 1.44%. By federal law, you must pay 1.44% for all members. And part-time temporaries pay 1.44% after 40 hours of work for the, for the month, just like everybody else. It's a violation of federal law if you don't and applicable case law, I have to add that. So, having said all of that, uh, we should not be taking 2.5 hours unless the part-time temporary achieves 173.3 hours in any given month, and then it's limited 2.5 hours, because that's what our UAW Constitution says. It's real clear if you know how to read it and calculate it. And I've done that in a letter, an opinion, and been posted on social media. So our caucus is in agreement with all of that, and that's how we will administrate it should we ascend the leadership. Now, because of the different days of the month that the month may start on or the number of days, you actually might pay different if you and you're working the same hours every week. Your your dues could still be different, but that's be, because it's being calculated correctly. Because.
because your hours were different, depending on what day of the week you start. Okay, even though you're working, you know, 20 hours a week, every week, without fail, or 16 or whatever, then you should have different uh, dues taken out every month. And that's just because the nature of the beast, that's your number of hours worked, minus your first 40, okay? So that's the issues uh, that are before the temporaries, and we'd like to get all of those cleaned up. Uh, some of them are in-house in our own union, the dues collection, and the uh, other one would be uh, the uh, temporary should be only 90 days, and that's by Constitution. Okay. Uh, the last primary issue, and we have, there's a number of them out there, uh, including AWS, auto, uh, you know, alternative work schedules. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. There's actually a very good book out there. It's been brought to my attention called Time Out. The book name is Time Out. You can Google it, find it. It, it deals with all of the problems of AWS and how that affects your life long term. Okay? Very bad for you to be working different hours. You need consistent sleep. Sleep regenerates our whole system. Lack of sleep or inconsistent hours of sleep can actually stimulate fibromyalgia in, in a person. And if you have a small problem, it will exacerbate your problem. Say you have uh, bone spurs somewhere, and you get along with them pretty well most of the time, but you start not sleeping consistent at the same time of the day, every day, and that will exacerbate your bone spur problem. Okay, so you need to understand that about AWS, but we'll get into that more uh, at a later time, maybe even next week we'll talk about that. But the other issue that's paramount are these tiers. We can identify six tiers currently. Legacy, old legacy with health care and pension. New legacy where you've ascended up through the end progression or been gotten there somehow to a new legacy, like earning legacy wages with no health care or pension in retirement. By the way, that sort of violates the Constitution as well in that Article 2, Section 1. We discussed that in the announcement earlier. Uh, then we have the in progression. That's the third category of tier wages. And there's several different wage categories in there, but in progression is, is a category in and of itself. And then you have tier two, because anybody that has ascended from uh, the temporary into seniority status is not automatic to go into the in progression. So tier two was, or the in progression was only given to those people that at the contract time started up that ladder in November of 15, okay? So that uh, any 
anybody that ascended to seniority, it's not automatic that you go to the end progression. Now, there may be some stipulations when you get moved up, but the category of Tier 2 still exists. That's four tiers. And then we have temporary. That's the fifth tier. And part-time temporary, the sixth tier. Each and every one of those, because of federal law prohibiting creating a second class within the primary class, violates federal law. As we said a week ago, two weeks ago, I guess, we would challenge that should we ascend to leadership. Okay. And that's going to be costly to corporations. All of these things we just talked about. So how are we going to pay for those things for our membership? How are we going to get the corporation to pay for them? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Guess what? We have an answer for that. You see, there's this thing called dead peasants insurance, otherwise known as corporate life insurance on retirees. Now, retirees have life insurance, as well as do actives. But there's an additional type of life insurance. And that's life insurance for the benefit of the executive suite. Okay. Now, there's a requirement that that has to be authorized properly before they can buy that. Before they can buy it. And we don't know if there's been some authorization or not. But we do know the following. Ford CEO Mark Fields in April of 2017, it was reported that his pension was $858 million. On May 1st, at the steps of the Michigan Capitol, I was asked to give a speech, and I outed him for having an $858 million pension. Three weeks to the day later, 21st, of May 2017, he was forced to retire, having been fired. Okay? So we know that these executives have some disproportionate pensions, not one or two times their wages, but rather 34 times their wages. And that's simply wrong. And that can stop. And when that stops, the money will flow to the bottom line. Corporations will have to let everybody know that there's more money to be had. The government gets a higher portion. We get a higher portion of that apple. Stock and bondholders and the communities in which they exist. And for sure, we're going to make sure that everybody understands that 
they're going to benefit by the actions of a union, giving a union a better name. Okay, so uh, there's ways of paying for it, and it just simply takes it out of the hands of the greedy executives in these corporations. And it's not just ours, it's nationwide. Fortune 500 and more are doing it. So, with that said, um, I'll ask around again. I'll start with Dennis this time. Dennis, do you have any comments on the tiers or the, how we're going to pay for it with the dead peasants insurance? No, Leroy, I understand dead peasants insurance. Um, I, I do know that the tiers, uh, you know, it's it, uh, I guess a lot for to pay so many uh, different wages for doing the same type of work, and it needs to stop. It's a very divisive issue uh, in our membership. Correct. Yeah, it's you know, and, and again, this is brought to you by the people that are in charge of our union currently. So we'd like this. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sharon, got comments on this? Well, I've worked alongside the temps, and I think I know they've been abused. I think that needs to be fixed. I know that needs to be fixed. So that's all I want to say is about the temps right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Thank you. Uh, You know, we're we're you know we're talking about some of the things we like to implement. These are the big issues, but there's a lot of other things, too. Uh, so, Jeff, you got comments on the, the tiers and the, how we'd pay for that? Uh, just plain you said, right? we got to end these tiers. That is what Mr. Williams said at the opening of the last convention. We have too many tiers. Then we turn around and find out we have more tiers. So I agree with you. Okay. Well, it's not just me. I mean, I think we've talked about this among ourselves. Yes, I'm just trying to articulate our discussions so, uh, here on the show and, and ask for input. So having said that, we're about uh, in a little over an hour. Um, that pretty much covers the, the ones that seem to be jumping out at us right now. Uh, but I will go around the room and ask for any thoughts from any of the uh, candidates or uh, Jeff as a team member. How about if we uh, start with Sharon? You want to give us your thoughts, Sharon? We lost her. She dropped off. Okay. Uh, For some reason. I'm not sure why. That does happen here sometimes. Uh, Dennis, you want to give us your thoughts on this? Well, Leroy, um, like you said, most of these issues were bought off, uh, were signed off on by the current uh, people in power and the Ruther caucus that is asking to be elected and that we're challenging um, has been brought up through the ranks and has has the same uh, train of thought, same way of thinking uh, that's, that's brought us down this path and how anybody in their right mind would, would want four more years of this, uh, of us circling the drain as as a labor organization, as a middle class, as a working for a living group, 
I, it would, you know, it's just beyond me. This, this, uh, this needs to change, and we, you know, with with help from uh, our our membership, talking to our delegates and expressing their opinions that, that they're not happy with the uh, uh, the path that the UAW is taking here, and that the root, you know, the, the current leadership, the past leadership. Uh, we we need each and every one of the people listening to this show to get on their on their delegates and express uh, their their dissatisfaction at, at the very least. Okay, thank thank you, uh, uh, Jeff. Comments? Yeah, Leroy. Anyway, um, you and I started the show two years ago. We've gone over many topics over the years. We tried to educate membership. That was our goal. Um, we have brought out a lot of good things. We educated the people on all of the bad things that we have seen. We have stand up to uh, corruption. And I think we've done a good job at that over the last two years. And people need to know that um, Victor Luther, Walter's brother, who passed away, I don't know, what was it, 20 years ago, 18, 15 years ago? He was the lesser known of the Luther brothers. He worked at uh, General GM Powertrain, I believe. No, another, another company that's no longer available. Going. I've been thinking about it all week, and I think Victor, if he was still alive, he'd be damn proud of us of what we've been doing over the last two years. And um, we will continue doing that, fighting corruption at the higher levels, even at the local levels, as long as we can. So I want to say, are you right? Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, uh, Victor uh, opposed a lot of the stuff that was going on before his passing, and he was actually asked to leave one of the convention floor one time, as I recall. Is that not right, Jeff? I don't know, but it sounds about right, because he was very against the uh, concessions that have been going on for the last few decades. Um Sounds like that's something that would happen, yeah. Right, right. Um, thank you, Jeff. Uh, I just want to say that these are the issues, the big issues. There's a lot of others that have come to our attention as a caucus over the last couple of years, maybe longer, uh, certainly on to the previous show that we were on. And we've been doing this one over two years now. Uh, we were on a previous show, and we had a lot of input from the members there as well. But these seem to be the big issues that are before us that we've heard. And I can't for the life of me think that every delegate that was elected, each and every delegate, has heard these very same issues on the floor. You've heard us say, change takes courage. You know, how courageous can you be 
Are you courageous? Can you stand up and speak out and speak up for the members it wishes as a delegate that have sent you to this convention? You've been given a mandate by those members, and you've heard all of these very same issues. We're not necessarily asking for your vote, but we are asking for you to do what the membership is sending you here to do at this next Constitutional Convention, the 37th. Thirty-six people sat in your seat in previous conventions and made these rules and asked for them to be upheld, and they've been violated. Essentially, people have thumbed their nose at the people sat in your chair previously and developed all of these rules over decades. We're asking you to do the job that your members sent you here to do. Fix these things. Fix them. As recently as a few months ago, in the midst of an upcoming constitutional convention, the Lake Orion and Lordstown creation of lower-paying jobs has been done in the face of everybody. And every constitutional delegate that ever sat in a seat, they've thumbed their nose at you. You are the highest authority in our union, the Constitutional Convention. We're asking you to uphold the Constitution. We're asking you to do what the members have sent you to hear, here to do. And they say uphold the Constitution in regard to all the issues that have been discussed here this evening. Please do your job. Having said that, I have nothing further. Anybody else has anything, please just jump out there. Dennis, Jeff, uh, Adrian, or I'm sorry, Sharon's gone, and Adrian must have had an emergency come up. So uh, are there any uh, other comments? Having Hearing none, uh, let's say good night to each other and good night, listeners, and thanks for listening. In. We'll see you next week. Uh, we'll give you an announcement if we're going to change the time, okay, because the convention is there and there's a few meetings that we've been asked to attend, so we may have a different time for you next week. We'll see. We'll try and have it at a regular time, but we'll make that decision as we get closer to the weekend. Thank you, everybody, and good night. Good night, Jeff. Good night. Just good night, good night. listeners. Thank good night. you, everybody. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.